Creative Connectors, a podcast for curious minds. My name's Vicky Keeler, and I'll be chatting to the makers and creators who aim to connect and inspire through the platform of festivals. We'll be delving into how they show up in the world, why they do what they do, their journey, inspiration, and everything in between. So sit back and enjoy the chat, because who knows where these conversations are going to go. And if this is your kind of podcast, please subscribe, follow, share with friends, and get involved and give some feedback. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Jason Raleigh, who is founder and director of Be Alternative. So thank you for coming on and having a chat with me, Jace. Cheers, Vicky. Looking forward to it. Um, I think a great place to start would be for you to explain a little bit about what Be Alternative is about and how you're connected with festivals. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think um, the alternative is probably more about uh, obviously the evolution of our species in a lot of ways, like just working from the fundamental space of caring for our planet. And um, and then, yeah, we just sort of evolved from that. The rest of it has been organic after that. It's just followed its own progression. Um, obviously, festivals was not something we started with. We started with collaborating with other environmental groups, um, trying to get rid of single-use plastic. Um, and then from there, we just sort of fell into festivals. Um, we did a lot of schools and education and things like that. And um, yeah, people were saying that festivals is a really good space to have a look at because the waste can be quite confronting um, and the behavior can be quite um, disrespectful in some spaces, um, which was not across all festivals. It was definitely different demographics had different uh, results. Um, so yeah, we sort of just fell into that and then in, ended up consulting in a lot of events. And uh, yeah, it, it sort of grew from there. And what does that consulting involve for somebody who might not know what goes into um, yeah, making a festival more sustainable and things like that? What are the different areas that you look at and speak to festivals about? It's, uh, it's ironic, actually. The timing's quite good. We're in the process of putting together a tender for a, a government group that is all about setting up an event waste guide. So all this is quite fresh at the moment, which is good. So uh, I guess... I think the misunderstanding in the, the, around waste and resources. So we don't go in there and try and win waste contracts. We try and win resource contracts. So mm-hmm. getting people to understand that if something's going to landfill, the amount of greenhouse emissions that it creates and, and all the, the transport elements and the manufacturing elements and the embodied energy of those products and then all of them going into landfill, how much of an impact that actually has on the planet. And so if we can get them to get to a preliminary um, sort of diversion where it becomes recycling that's that's a win um, ideally we try and get them to understand how compost is more effective and the ideal solution is obviously reusable which integrates behavior change that people can use in society as well um, so there is a big misconception around you know what can be recycled what can be composted and how to do reusable um, hygienically and effectively um, and so I guess a lot of festivals, as we all know, a lot of the, especially the more private ones that aren't so commercial yet, and even some of the commercial ones have a really positive intention around how to make, you know, use their platform for education. So we come in and, and help them get the right education so that they're not wasting their time teaching people about things that could be obsolete, like co-mingling and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it sort of, it sort of steam, streams from that. Um, and we've yeah we've, we've seen some really good results from uh, from that and of course with the events being on board it makes it a lot easier yeah and how did your I guess how did your journey um, come to be be alternative like what what made you create this business and and how did that all come to fruition um, yeah it's an interesting one I'll keep it relatively brief because it it's quite in, in tail but um, 
long story short, I've always sort of had a bit of a passion for animals and always loved animals, even when I was a bit of a, a dopey jock footballer when I was younger. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I had a partner um, at the end of the time of my football, my football time, and she, always, she said to me one day, she goes, you always talk about the animals and the environment, why don't you go do something about it? And it really confronted me and I was like, that's actually a really good point. So I, I joined Sea Shepherd at the time and went overseas and did some activism as I knew best, which was probably a little bit too aggressive. Um, however, Sea Shepherd didn't condone that. Uh, but I ended up having a, an altercation with a whaler in the Faroe Islands and it got quite heated to the point where um, knives were drawn on their behalf and it was quite elevated. And uh, anyway, long story short, when you're that passionate about something, I don't think either of us really minded what happened after that. Both of us were prepared to put our beliefs on the line. And uh, fortunately, it simmered down, hence the reason I'm still here and still have a head. <laughs> and um, we had a chat and uh, he actually really taught me something about my aggressive way of trying to coerce someone else into my beliefs. And, um, you know, I was saying to him, you know, you shouldn't kill whales and rah, rah, rah. And he goes, mate, you're from Australia. You guys kill 100,000 sentient beings a week. Uh, and I went, how true that is, I wasn't sure. So I researched it, sure enough. There was a fair bit of uh, truth to what he was saying. And I realised I was being a massive hypocrite, jumping around the country, telling, uh, around the world, telling other people how to live their lives. Um, so I ended up coming back to Australia and, and realising that, you know, obviously we still don't condone killing whales by any stretch. Um, but yeah, I came back to Australia and realised that if you want to have an impact, you know, the biggest um, killer of ocean marine life is actually single-use plastic. So, um, yeah, went on a bit of a trip around Australia and met with a lot of amazing groups, um, awesome, you know, amazing groups like Living Ocean, Take Three, um, a lot of groups like that. And we tried to create a bit of an alliance, which ended up forming into, you know, other alliances. And um, I noticed that with the non-for-profit groups, um, there's only a certain slice of the pie that they can get from the governments. So we, um, I looked at it and went, well, I'm actually okay at business. I had a, a building company at the time that was making significant money. And rather than trying to find another slice of that, you know, minor pie that's available through government grants and things like that, I thought we'll just make our own money. And uh, so then we just started a business out of it. And it sort of, it grew from there with the support of all those amazing groups. So it was a really collaborative effort, to be honest. Yeah, amazing. And how long has B Alternative been going now? Um, we've been officially running for about five to six years. It did sort of change from um, just a really small entity into an actual business registered about four to five years ago. Um, and then, yeah, it's really hit the event space in the last four years in a really heavy way, um, positive mm. way. And then before that, it was just a few schools and that. But now we've uh, got a bit of a school repertoire where there's, you know, there's probably about I'd have to check, but I think there's like 15 to 20 schools that we consistently work with in their evolving their waste programs. Um, so yeah, sort of, that's pretty much where it's at at the moment. And we're looking at, we don't want to stop here, we're going to expand into different areas and yeah. Yeah, amazing. And with the kind of school side of things, is that helping the schools with their waste management and the way that they're looking at their own practices or is it about educating the kids? Really fascinating. Um, like we talk about from a festival space, how influential festivals can be. And from our mm. school experience, we, we went in there just to educate. And then when we fell into the festival space, we realized that there's more education to be done with practical applications, such as you know, actually diverting waste and actually creating systems. So that actually went back to the school space. So now we're using a lot of our festival models in the school space to actually put in practical applications that they can use um, to divert huge amounts of waste and also incorporate that with education. So 
it's a, it's a little bit of everything now. Um, so again, organically, the different components of our society have actually helped each other. So we went into festivals expecting just to educate and then, um, yeah, festivals ended up educating us in a lot of ways and helping us evolve <laughs> our systems. So very, very grateful for That's that. That's it. Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely something from the conversations that I've been having, you know, um, it shows how festivals are such an innovative space for people to trial and test things before necessarily trying to apply it to different industries. And I don't think that people often really consider that. They just think it's, you know, a place for people to party and don't necessarily understand the impact that festivals have on the wider world. Um, and I hope that, you know, this podcast can offer some some form of inspiration and, and shining a light on that in that they are doing and playing a bigger role. Definitely. And I'm hoping podcasts like yours is per- like yours is perfect. You're actually, you know, you're really displaying all those elements of the festival that the main mainstream media will never portray. And a lot exactly. of, well, maybe not never, maybe just not at the moment. Um, but mm. yeah, you're so right. Like the, the path you're, you're creating is, is crucial. I think it's crucial. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, in terms of your first experience with festivals, what was that? Where was it? How did you, uh, yeah, come to come to that point of being at a festival? Because I know that you weren't necessarily someone who was hitting them hard and fast from an early age, maybe like me. Yeah, um, it's actually funny. We were talk- when we were talking the other day, I remember um, trying to give you my first, and I actually forgot my first festival experience was actually when I was much younger. I was actually underage. And I snuck into a commercial festival down on the uh, the Otway Ranges, and um, <laughs> <laughs> the intention back then at that age was, to be completely honest, was get as drunk as I could and sleep with as many women as I could. And it was, I failed at both <laughs> of those things, so <laughs> I ended up just having a really good time. Um, and uh, I, ironically, for some reason after that, the the crew that I was with at the time were all about still about those principles. Um, and I just didn't want to go there for that intention. So I didn't actually see another festival um, until I was, I can't remember how old I was now, probably about 28, I reckon. And I went to uh, Rainbow, Rainbow Festival. And that was, yeah, that was an evolution. Like I reckon I grew more in that three days in, in an alternative way than I had in as, as much effort that I put into it before that. So um, yeah, Rainbow was definitely a, a big, big point for, for me at that time. And um, I was, yeah, really grateful for that. So now I feel like I've, I've seen more festivals in the last probably four years than most people will see in their lifetime um, from someone who had no intention of ever going to one. So, and I'm enjoying all of them. So it, it's great. Yeah. And I guess from there, you went to that um, festival like Rainbow Serpent as kind of a punter. Was it something then from going to that festival that you were like, okay, this is a turning point in I can see how... Uh, be alternative could play a role with festivals or how did that kind of yeah cross section of um, doing the education with schools then bring you into events yeah it was um it was interesting like we actually so we went to rainbow serpent as a as a guest initially and i said i was happy to pay for a ticket because i didn't really want to have any of the guest responsibilities and um i kind of wish i went as a guest now because i could have actually seen more cool stuff back house but um yeah we ended up (laughs) going in and and uh, they showed us a few of the environmental structures anyway. And to be honest, it's quite a conscious festival, um, regardless of what people see um, or, or believe they see. The, the way people re- respected it, you saw just patrons picking up rubbish and, you know, there was probably a misunderstanding around what glitter does and things like that, but the majority of people were yep. really conscious. And I guess um, pro- after that, we ended up 
being invited to do another festival in Torquay um, and we ended up consulting for that and had really good results and Rainbow then saw that and said okay well next year can you come um, a bit more and be a little bit more involved and fortunately we got to meet with um, Amy Green from Green Chief and I mean we talk about inspirational leaders and especially women in this space is just next level and she just blew my mind with um, a lot of the stuff that her philosophies around events and, and things like that and um, yeah after that we sort of just again organically just fell into a relationship where we made things work um, collaboratively and we, we addressed the campground is issues um, which again is, is that whole misconception of what people believe is their right and their entitlement at a festival um, and that what they believe actually happens with tents you know the, the understanding that you know oh, yep. someone's using it someone's recycling it whatever um, so when we were able to educate and, and create some awareness around that, um, we saw some really positive results. So, you know, and, and touching on the, from a personal perspective, the gratitude of pretty much every time I've, I've had an evolution in this space, it's always been a woman who's actually taught me something. You know, Alice Forrest taught me about single-use plastics. Amy Green's a perfect example. You know, there's the, the leadership of women in this space is just, yeah, phenomenal. So I've been really mm. grateful for that. How about yeah, yourself? When was your first festival? I don't think we actually got to that. My first festival was age, I think I was 17 or 18. I'm trying to remember whether I used an illegal ID to buy a ticket. I can't oh. remember, but it was, <laughs> it, was um, it was Creamfields in the UK. Um, and yeah, it was just, I was just driven by music. I've always loved music. I've loved dancing and... I guess it was a, it's kind of a bit like a rite of passage. Um, you know, as soon as you could go to a festival, um, that was one of the biggest ones. Um, I grew up in Cheshire, kind of like in the countryside. Right. Um, it's sort of in between Manchester and Liverpool in the UK. And Creamfields was in Liverpool. So it was sort of the nearest big festival that was happening for us. And yeah, went, went to that festival. And if I think about now... Um, yeah, after sets on the stages, the, the, it would just be a sea of plastic on the floor. Um, you know, just... And even back then, it's kind of mental to think about it. It, it wasn't something that you questioned. It was just the norm. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, the world has definitely moved on a lot further from when I was 17, which is amazing. But, yeah, just going to festivals, I was driven by the music and then... It was that sense of community. Um, I ended up kind of going to festivals overseas in Europe with friends. And that was where I spent all my holidays. Like when I was working full time, I'd be like, right, booking off a week. And they're like, oh, where are you going on holiday? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to Serbia to exit festival. And they're like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, it's like this festival held in an old fortress. And like, oh, you you're not like gonna go and relax on a beach and I'm like nope just gonna go and spend my holiday dancing and hanging out awesome. with my friends meeting Serbians and it was a, it was a perfect way to go and you know see different parts of the world and you know kind of did some promotion for a festival in Croatia so for me it just opened my eyes to meeting mm -hmm. different types of people and really generated a sense of community and family within my friends like we were very close anyway but there's this different um dynamic that happens when you go to a festival you yeah. all start of, sort of like start looking after one another and you just spend this like intense amount of time together and the amount of people that you meet and you adopt as your like new best friend for the 
you know, the course of the festival um, is just amazing. And and for me, it was just like an addiction almost. Like I'd always be like, okay, how many festivals can I afford to go to Mm. this year? And I might do like four in a year, probably slowed down a bit now as getting a bit older. Um, 22, 23, yeah. Oh, 33. I'm like, <laughs> I can't actually tell you how many festivals I've been to now. It's it's kind of ridiculous. I tried to count them with one of my friends and I was like, I actually don't know. That's how many I've been to. But I, yeah, the passion just doesn't die. And I think my respect for festivals has just got bigger and bigger and bigger, especially yeah. having the joy to work for Strawberry and seeing what happens and the amount of work and effort that people put in um, behind the scenes and the amount of passion you know, so many people are just driven by a passion to have an impact on others, um, mm. whether that's through music, art, you know, like yourself, um, looking at more um, sustainability practices. It's, yeah, it's just mind-blowing. And and I guess that's how I came to this point of doing the podcast. I was just like, no one's telling these stories. Yeah, and exactly. there's so many inspirational people from coming at it from so many different angles and um, it's not the highest paid industry. So not everybody's kind of doing it, you know, for money. They're doing it for the love. Mm. So, yeah, impact. that's kind of my... Re- yeah, exactly. Um, and that's really my relationship with festivals. And I just think, yeah, the media, sadly... It's not to say all media is bad around festivals, but I'd say there is a, a large swing towards negative media. Um, and I, I think... It, it really sells festivals short on, mm. um, especially those bigger festivals where it is, you know, multi-day, people are camping. Like, there's so much that goes into that and there's so many people that are on site and things just work seamlessly. And it's like all these people are there because they want to be together and they can enjoy themselves together. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that that would work so well if you put, like, 10,000 people in the CBD all together that fast. Like... Well, look, it happens in you the know. soccer football, the football in the UK. You have that many people well, together and exactly. people get stabbed. So it doesn't happen in exactly. festivals. I was just going to say, you were saying yeah. when you were traveling, you traveled to different places to go to festivals. When people talk about traveling, especially, you know, um, women in particular, they're always concerned about safety. Did you feel safer mm. at a festival than you would traveling otherwise? Or was um, it much the same? Kind of much the same. Like for me personally... Um, I'm someone who's traveled quite a bit. I've spent a lot of time in Egypt um, from like the age of 13 going on holiday and spending summers there. And people would be like, oh, that's like a bit random. And I never felt unsafe even in a country like that as a young white female with Mm. predominantly hanging out with my white female friends who I was on holiday with. Um, And I just think when you travel, you need to have an awareness of the culture that you're in and be respectful of the culture that you're in and have your wits about you. Um, but fortunately, I've never found myself in a scary predicament. Mm. Um, I'm somebody who, you know, is very probably chatty and welcoming to people. So some might say like, oh, you could end up getting yourself in a bit of a challenging position if you were maybe being a bit naive. But yeah, I'm very blessed in that I've never had an issue or felt threatened or anything like that. Most of the festivals that I went to across Europe, I would have been with friends that was like mixed male and female. But yeah, never. I've always felt that, you know, festivals are almost like a part of people who are celebrating. So everyone's generally in high spirits. And it's not to say that 
you know, bad things haven't happened at festivals. There are, I'm sure, people out there who've taken advantage of others, which is horrible to think of. But for the most part, I think people are there to celebrate, come together, you know, learn from one another um, and, you know, celebrate different types of cultures as well. That's, that's for me, the beautiful thing is whether it's Germany, Serbia, Croatia, etc. Um, there's all these nuances that you learn about a country at that festival. Um, mm, definitely. Yeah, I just I just think they're a like a, a cauldron of magic that yeah bring people <laughs> like together. That. That's a great metaphor. I love that. I don't know. Yeah, like they light me up inside, and I I love being in a festival when you're just looking around at all different people from walks of life. Mm. You can't comprehend all the different types of people that come together. Yeah, and definitely. I think it's sad that media kind of just brushes everybody as individuals who are letting loose, partying, taking drugs, boozed up. And don't don't necessarily delve into the wider role that uh, festivals um, and events are playing in culture and society. Yeah, because uh, exactly. I personally think there's a lot to learn. Oh, for sure, and that's that's probably one of the key elements of the festivals that we've seen. And I don't want to diss schools because that would get my ass kicked. But like, you look at our <laughs> education systems, and a lot of teachers will agree they're still teaching that Captain Cook found Australia for fuck's sake. Like it's just, yeah. it's embarrassing what our, our mainstream uh, structure is in society. But then you go to a festival and it's one of the best education platforms there could possibly be. And as you said, yeah, you, you, know, you said you, you, you danced a little bit in psychology and things like that. You know, it's been proven that, you know, people who are in a relaxed environment learn better. So mm. what, are, what rather than judging festivals, because it's a place where, you know, people are a little bit concerned because they haven't done it or they haven't been or they haven't they're scared of change, you know, without with getting rid of that judgment, we can actually see it's such a really, such a platform for positive growth and, and creativity. Um, I guess, you know, depending on how people look at the world politically, we do see that a lot of people want to keep things the way they are, or they want to keep people in a capitalist structure and they don't want people to be individuals. I mean, have a look at China and Hong Kong and have a look mm. at Scott Morrison and Donald Trump. So, you know, with festivals evolving, hopefully, um, people will start feeling a little bit more empowered in, in what they're, t they're doing. And like, you know, as you said, you know, you went to multiple festivals as a young person and now you're doing creative marketing and media for, you know, big groups and organisations. And I'd, I'd be curious to know, do you have any lessons that you took away from festivals when you were, like, is there any crucial, like, one pointers or a couple of points where you're like, if I didn't go to that festival, I wouldn't have learnt that? For me, they've definitely been core in making me who I am today just mm. through the yeah opening your mind to new experiences new people and new perspectives like I remember going to um I don't think it was my first rainbow I think it was maybe the second rainbow that I went to and hearing a guy talk about how he works with NASA and I was just like what like did not expect to like hear him. He was talking about this, and, and it's a concept that blew my mind, but he was talking about how to like slingshot something around the moon. Yeah, cool. And I was like, <laughs> to begin with, I was like, is this for real or is this guy like kind of got up and no one, he's not meant to be speaking. Like I honestly had to kind of like <laughs> check, check with my friends that it was for real. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, like... This guy's working with the best of the best when it comes to, uh, you know, like space technology. 
And, you know, he's here at Rainbow and he's really trying to educate people on... Um, he was actually talking about psychedelics and how it has um, helped him to come up with concepts to work with NASA. Awesome. And I was like, wow, you are really <clears throat> doing an amazing job of breaking down the stigma that is associated with, you know, the use of psychedelic um, drugs. And, yeah, for me, I remember that being a really kind of wake-up call and being like, wow, that, you know, there is so much on offer at these festivals um, from individuals that you might never have heard from before or could comprehend that you would hear from. Mm. So for me, that was like a really eye-opener. And I think um, even just coming to Australia, actually, six years ago, was um, hugely eye-opening because I'd never experienced festivals so connected to the land before yeah. and so connected to nature. Yeah. And I think personally it's something I think Australia do really, really well. And it's not to say that other festivals <laughs> don't do that. Like I haven't been to every festival in the world, but um, it was something that really rang true for me in the yeah respect for land, um, you know, with opening ceremonies and um yeah trying to educate people on the culture of the land so you don't necessarily get that at a uk festival obviously because there's not necessarily the same history but it was a very um uk festivals felt very commercial mm. and quick and dirty and it was it, it just didn't have that sense of authenticity and um, like consciousness for me yeah. and maybe that was just because I wasn't as conscious back then um, you know it's it's part of the journey that you go on but yeah for me festivals just uh, really have opened my mind and give you time as well for looking at yourself through a different lens and and kind of yeah analyzing how you behave how you think how you um, communicate with others as well so there's just so many different facets that you know, I believe have made me who I am today. And I think that's where there's a lot that, um, you know, people can learn from festivals, to be honest. For sure. um, and, and I think because of the way that sometimes the media portrays it, that could, you know, put somebody off going to a festival. Like I know personally my parents when I was younger, they'd be like, oh, all you hear about is the drugs and the bad things. Like mm. I'm worried about you going to those festivals. And I was like hang on, but that's just like one bit, a tiny 1% of what happens at that festival. Like that doesn't mean it's everything that's happening. And yeah, I think that's still happening today. There'll be people who are off put going to festivals because of what they read in the media. And no I kind of think it's unfair. No one's talking about the massive drug consumption in the corporate world. No one talks about that. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, no. and they don't talk about the sexual harassment in the workplace, women getting raped in the workplace. They never talk about any of that. But um we're more than happy to no. just criticise a place of evolution when, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. <laughs> it's, I'm not going to say too much about yeah. that because I'll get shot. Well, that's, well, no, but that's it, right? You know, and I think there's so much there's so much negativity in the world and so many bad things that do happen. Mm. So why not shine a light on the really positive stuff that's happening? 100%. And to me, there is 99% more positive things that come out of festivals than negative. Yeah. And that's I guess that was a driving force for me to, you know, start this podcast because I was like, no one's really, you know, championing the kind of great stuff that comes out. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. obviously festivals do promote it at the time when their festivals are coming up, you know. Mm. 
make conscious efforts to communicate those important lessons and behaviors that we want people to, um, you know, embody, Mm. but, you know, around the clock and especially now when events are happening, those conversations don't happen. As, yeah, definitely not as much, but hopefully you know, things like this podcast yeah. will, will help that conversation continue. It was actually really, um, mm. it was really nice and refreshing to hear you actually say that our our festivals pay a lot more homage to the to the land. Um, mm. Because I'll, I'll be honest, that's one of the things we really focus on as far as like you know making sure there's respect for our aborigines, um, respect for you know respect for their their traditions and, and the way they do things. And considering they make up something like three percent of our population now. Thanks to, you know, I'm going to continue to, to talk about the genocide that hasn't been adhered to yet. Um, yeah. And the fact that they're still having an influence with such a small population just goes to show how powerful and how valuable their their um, perspectives are. And I'm really, one of the things I'm, I'm definitely grateful for is the festivals do pay attention to that because, you know, that's, if we want to evolve and, you know, I'm not saying the Origines were perfect, but, you know, the Origines definitely knew stuff that we just ignore and um i think if you know if festivals can keep tapping into those sources then um you know it might be one or two steps backwards in a lot of forms but it's going to long term be a lot better and we can come together in a lot more growth and that's where you know, as you were saying with festivals before there's such a, a wide um diversity of of people that go so you know you can be walking down and, and bump into an elder and an elder will teach you something that you would never have learned there's like yeah. A lot of that information is so sequestered now that it's almost suppressed. It's probably more accurate um, that you can't mm-hmm. actually get that information. And some of the stuff I've learned from just having to chat to people there, I'm just it's it's changed the way the alternative has even gone in directions. You know, it's um, yeah. I'm, I think it's really, really, really good to hear that from someone from outside our country. So <laughs> that's awesome. Like with anything. We're definitely not there yet. Mm. Um, and I consider this home now. And, and for me, it's important to understand that history. I was I was kind of um, saying to Tara, who is the director of Strawberry, actually, about she was talking a lot when we were recording for the podcast around the land. And reading Dark Emu, for me, was mm. a real eye-opener in terms of actually learning a lot about, yeah, the yeah. history. Um, and I know that you've said about reading... Um, sapiens and that's an, mm. the, another book that's on my list to read and i think yeah it's all about educating yourself right um and i kind of did a few months in south america before i moved to australia and you know like did the inca trail hike and stuff like that and there's just so much that um yeah we can learn from ancient ancestry for me having spent time in egypt i've always had a bit of a obsession with egyptian um yeah kind of history even since I was a kid uh, so it's ironic that I ended up spending loads of time there but I think there's so little that we actually know about mm. their knowledge and connected to astrology and things like that so the more that we can yeah look to those cultures and history to see what we can apply now because yeah sometimes it does feel like we've got quite lost which is definitely you know sometimes a bit disheartening um but I I never lose hope um, and I think you're an individual, obviously, who has a huge amount of hope for the future. You have to. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you, otherwise, you wouldn't be doing what you do. Um, yeah. I guess what would be your kind of key things that if you could, yeah, share your message with the world, what would be your key piece of advice or 
ways in which they could activate themselves. To be completely honest, um, my message is not my message. It's a message that's been consolidated from so many people's input. So I guess I wouldn't yeah. claim it. Um, but I guess there's so many you know, positive ways to live on this world at the, in, in this planet at the moment. And a really quick diversion on the, just a quick segue was that um, we were talking about our custodians and things like that. And one of the things that came to me really a little while ago was that I was overwhelmed with it. I was done with white people. I'm like, I'm done, as a white person, I'm done with white people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Um, and I spent some time with Aunty Deb up in Byron. And she said to me, she gave me a really long story, which I'm not going to go through because as we know, the custodians have some beautiful ways of telling stories. They take a long time. Um, but yeah, basically her story was that, you know, they created white fellas and white fellas are here to produ produce technology. And with that technology was going to be destruction. And this whole path was very intentional. Um, but now we have technology. So it's about us coming back to source and understanding spirit um, and bring the technology with us because the indigenous um, of all across the, the planet understand their land and understand how to manage their land better than we do. But as far mm. as galactic challenges like meteors and even volcanic issues and things like that, um, technology could play a really big role in that. So there's a bit of a yin-yang balance where if we come back to spirit and bring the technology that we've brought and we've created, um, we could actually have a really amazing planet together. Um, so when she told mm. me that, I was much more appreciative of understanding this whole process and, and valuing this process and trying to look at it from a positive, not a negative. Um, yeah. But I guess, you know, especially now in these times with you know, viruses and potentially another war on the horizon with, you know, God knows what's going on out there. Um, there's people are looking for a lot of purpose in life. And, you know, I think if, if we just, you know, people get lost in purpose and I feel like if it's such an easy time to be alive, like what... If you're, if you're looking for purpose and you can leave the planet better than you found it, that's the easiest thing to do at the moment and go from there. Mm. Like what a basic platform. Um, and the reason it's so easy is because, let's be honest, the planet's, the environment, should I say, is in a pretty dire space. Like, you know, we're losing 200 species to extinction every day. You know, we've got sea level rises. We've got, you know, massive refugee issues because of all the climate change creations we're having. We've got plastics in our ocean. We've got all these things that are really horrible. And that's definitely not good but it's a lot easier to just make those changes really just real small changes and then all of a sudden you know if you go okay well you know on a really fundamental level i bought a block of land it had concrete everywhere i ripped up the concrete and planted some grass and some trees and you've left that block of land better than you found it um you know you mm. might be able to support a refugee you might be able to teach people about a more plant-based diet you might be able to do you know something that's really evolutionary in the way people look after their health you might be able to teach people how to shop local and and not use plastic and with all those sorts of things such simple rule well not rules simple procedures and, and processes then we can leave the planet better than we found it and i mean from there once you start doing good things it's a it's, it becomes a bit of a gateway drug you know like you just kind of go oh it actually felt good doing something like that and then you don't care about how much money you've got you don't care about um, you know, the need of things because it just happens organically. And it sounds a little bit woo-woo and hippie, but the reality is you, it, you'll always be fine if you're doing the right thing by the planet. I'm pretty sold on that, to be honest. Yeah. So that's my long-winded yeah, answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it's funny how, yeah, you talk about making those little positive steps um, or positive actions, which are simple, you know, it's not like it has to be the biggest thing that you do. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of small steps can create big wins. And just through my kind of other work, we've been talking about, you know, kindness and how there needs to be more of that in the world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my interest in psychology, you know, positivity breeds positivity. And it's like, if you, you will probably notice it would be hard for you, I think, or for anybody to, you know, be doing something and not have any of your friends probably cotton onto it and then continue to do it. Like you almost become a little advocate for your lifestyle choices Mm. um, among your friendship groups. And I think that's where you can actually see impact happening. You know, like I've got friends who are vegan, so I was like, oh, I'm going to try and, you know, be vegan or... You know, you see somebody call somebody out for littering. So you're like, oh, I actually should do that if I see it. Or yeah. you see someone pick something up on the street that might not be their litter. So then when you're walking and you see something, you're like, oh, I should do that. And, you know, so all those different types of behaviors, it's, it's human behavior is addictive. Yeah. So the more that we can all, to your point, kind of make those small changes and, um, yeah, encourage others to live as you live we can actually have that bigger impact on the planet hopefully Mm. in the long run and that's that's what you're like referring to is is very much that compound interest model isn't it you know you one person you know you might um, like one of the things that inspires us when we get to speak to school groups and and corporate groups and things like that is you might get a room of 20 people you get might get a room of 400 people Um, but if you have 20 people and then say 20 people go out and speak to five people each about what they've learnt in that space that's 100 people yeah. you've indirectly influenced. Now those 100 people speak to five people and then there's 500 people indirectly influenced by something you're passionate about and something you believe in. Um, I guess the only challenge with that is understanding what your true beliefs and your true passions are. Like if people are going out there saying, hey, we should we should all use single-use plastic and we should traffic children and all these other horrible things that some people do try to convince themselves is true and to them, the reality is you do have to tap into your heart a little bit and go, how does that really feel? You know, whereas, mm. you know, actually tapping into going okay well i don't want to use single-use plastic or i do want to make sure that women are safe i do want to make sure that animals can have a happy way of life i do want to reduce suffering on the planet it's much you'll feel that in your stomach you'll feel it in your heart and you'll be like yeah, yeah that feels a lot better um so use that hopefully you know people are using that for for good not so much as you said before greed instead of greed we're mm. using it for for purpose too much greed in the world <laughs> way too much oh. And greed, 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 where does greed stem from? Greed stems from fear, doesn't it? It's, you know, people are scared of not having enough. They're scared of all these sorts of things. But if they actually tap into, again, not trying to sound too woo-woo here, but tap into a little bit more self-love and self-appreciation, fear becomes very obsolete. Um, You know, there's nothing to be scared of when you love yourself enough. And people are scared that they're going to become egotistical when they do that. But you tend to operate from a much more high level of integrity when you do that. So... There's a there's a, probably mm. a psychological dance that you could speak to better than I could, but um, yeah, I think that's... <laughs> and that's it. Like for me, I think festivals do that. They promote self love. They 100%. encourage you to show up as whoever you want to show up as, yeah. and explore who you are. And you know, there's no one really there telling you there's a right or wrong way of being yourself. Mm. It's you know, festivals offer you that that platform outside of your everyday life where I think people do tend to feel a bit more constrained and put labels on themselves or feel like they've got to slot into a into a box that, you know, maybe their family want them to be or their, 
you know, boss or workplace want them to be. And, and when it comes to festivals, like everyone's kind of on this level playing field because yeah. no one really knows who you are, what you're about or, you know, what labels you might wear outside yeah, of um, being in a festival. So yeah. I think, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of, you don't really often speak to somebody at a festival and be like, oh, what do you do for a living? You're just like, hey, how yeah. are you? What's your Where'd name? Where'd you get that thing? burger? And Where'd you get those chips? Awesome, nice dress, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love your, I love your like shimmery outfit kind of thing. Like yeah. you just have different different conversations and yep. than you would in the real world. Um, yeah, very organic and very like to people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you just... You know, you never know, like someone might walk past you and just randomly give you a hug. Or yeah. um, I remember one year when I went to Rainbow, I made little awards to give to people and they were just like really stupid awards. And the reactions that I would get from people, there was one guy and he was devastated because I'd given him a, an award one day and he lost it. And he was like, <laughs> I've lost, he's like, I've lost the award. And he'd walk past our camp every morning and that's how he kind of told us that he'd lost the award. And then he came, I think it was like on the last day, he like came over to our camp and he was like, I found it. He was like, it's been under my pillow this whole time. He was like, I couldn't work out where I'd put it. And I was like, oh, bless you. And he's like, I'm going to put this on my wall at home. And, you know, it's just like that little exchange yeah. can have such an impact for somebody. And it shows you how you can just connect with anybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of what you were just mentioning about... Um, yeah, I guess that in, in, intention that people have and what you do with schools, might you ever or is it a future vision for Be Alternative to potentially try and take it to the corporate world and apply learnings from festivals and schools to bigger corporations? Uh, well, the good news is we already do. Um, so oh, we, right, great. Yeah, we've worked with um, some huge corporate groups, one of the biggest, um, what are they, the biggest? office space in Melbourne, um, one of the uh, yeah. five, five towers there. We've helped in, um, incorporate some stuff there and they ended up diverting, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was something like a ton a day of landfill to towards compost. So we helped educate with that yeah, wow. and, and held some discussions around that. Um, we're doing stuff with governments and councils um, frequently, helping setting up strategies. Um, we've got a council at the moment that wants to make all of their council buildings completely plastic free. And that includes all mm -hmm. the ones that they, they hire out to um, retailers and stuff like that. So they'll have to follow a, a plastic-free model. Um, so, yeah, we're, fortunately, we are in that space. And to be honest, if I'm completely transparent, sometimes it's actually easier to consult in that space because when you show corporates a spreadsheet and show, hey, this is actually going to save you a bucket load of money, a lot of them do care about the environment, don't get me wrong, but a lot of them do have to meet their shareholders' requests. So they will just go, sure, if it saves us money, do it. Um, and then you compare that to a festival where festivals, are, you get very passionate people and they'll actually scrutinise every single thing you do, which is great, which is what you want um, environmentally, but it can definitely take a little bit more work to show people a festival structure and how it can be more environmentally friendly. But that's not to say that's a bad thing. Um, it's just me being lazy. <laughs> it's easier for me to do it with a corporate <laughs> than it is with a passionate <laughs> festival owner. Well, I think it's great coming at it from all different angles. You know, you've got the youth and the schools that they're in and trying to help them to think differently because I mm. think, you know, whatever we can do to help uh, empower younger generations to have better knowledge than we've had um, is going to serve us, you know, in much better stead for the future. But, you know, coming at it from the big corporates, like you say, maybe the intention's not there, but at least if they're, 
you know, um, applying those recommendations and then you've got a case study to take to other corporates and, you know, that mm. creates more of a snowball effect and it makes it easier for some, for some people to buy in when they've got a use case and they can see that somebody else has saved money, right? Definitely. Um, the financial viability is what they're looking at, which is great. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's, it's great. You know, I mean, whatever helps them make change um, and hopefully it, you know, if they are introducing that into their workplaces, they've still got to play a role in doing the education to all those individuals who are in those workplaces. So it's still those messages are translating to, you know, a higher volume of people than they may have been before, which is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. We've also found that, like, you know, for example, that you know, if you don't address the adults and the middle age and the, you know, even teenage and onwards, what has been the common dialogue in the past in the environmental space anyway is kicking the can down the road where they go, you know, oh, the, the next generation will have to sort this out, the next generation. And we always just keep kicking the can down the road and we're, we don't have time anymore. That's the reality. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone's going, oh, the kids, kids are getting so much better. It's like, stop passing it off like we've got to all act and the fact that we get to deal with those corporate spaces and, and older generations we don't go to them and go don't worry we're going to get you to educate the kids we're getting you to educate yourselves um mm. and and get them empowered as well like you know if you're 90 years old or you're 10 years old you can have just as big your impact so it's um and it's been really really exciting to see people get empowered by that and again that actually happens a lot more in the festival space um, I mean, obviously, Rainbow doesn't have those older demographics, but some of the events like Queenscliff and, and some of those other events we've done with, and Celtic festivals, they've just been such an amazing response. And it's the older generations that are just like, this is amazing. This is what we used to do when it's reusable. This is what we used to do. And they, they own it and they create that in their community. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting seeing across multiple um, you know, age groups. Yeah, amazing. And so what's, what's your plan for Be Alternative? What's the future look like? Go out of business, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I love it. It's the best business model that you never hear anybody say. <laughs> well, again, like if you look at the, the Be Alternative purpose, the purpose is to, to make the planet a better place um, as far yep. as, you know, if we can get everyone on a trajectory that's positive, um, you know, we always talk about we don't believe in sustainability, we believe in regeneration. Sustainability suggests that we're going to keep going down the, the path that we're already on, which is not ideal. Um, whereas if we can get the, you know, as many people and as many mass movements going towards a more positive structure, and that can be economic as well, um, mm. then we become sort of obsolete and we have to change our business altogether or maybe create a new business that, you know, might not be required because everyone's already doing it um you know the, the the term be alternative is to be alternative at the moment it's being alternative from the mainstream but if the mainstream's all awesome we don't want to keep being alternative because that means we have to be negative so um yeah ideally you know we'd love to see ourselves become obsolete yeah nice and are there any key ways that individuals could play a role in supporting be alternative um I mean, there's lots of ways. Uh, I guess we're, we're in the process of setting up a volunteer um, sort of group for events and yep. festivals. So people can, <clears throat> people who want to get volunteer positions at festivals can apply through Be Alternative if there's a festival that we're doing um, and they can do a volunteer shift, um, which might be cleaning dishes, it might be helping us sort rubbish, it might be education um, or something like that. Um, and again, probably just supporting our, our movement and our messages as, as much as they can on social media so just looking us up on social media um, and and sharing the, again the messages that we get are from a lot of different people that I, I'm sure people value um, I've seen them value you know the 
it's not just me it's definitely the alternative is not jason riley there's no doubt about that it's very much a, a huge group of amazing humans um and that includes even like you're now part of it vicky so it's everyone who's got an amazing message to share it's a it's a it's a, it's a tribal movement so if anyone wants to share and, and and watch our social media stuff which i'm not good at but we have people who do that um that would be a, a massive support as well and the best way to support be alternative is to care about your planet you don't have to be mm. you know it's we're all in it together so you know pick up a bit of plastic on the ground show someone you love animals and be compassionate about the way you shop vote with your wallet all those sorts of things and you, don't, you can be part of every movement by doing that so that'll be yeah. the easiest ways a very beautiful sentiment and are you solely focused on australia is that you're like i've got to sort out my own country first before i could potentially try and have an impact elsewhere it's funny i mean that's obviously after the lessons from sea shepherd that was um that's what brought me back here but um the reality is we are still talking with um other groups overseas we had a bit of a chat with um coachella in america um we were talking to them about a few of their structures um there was a couple of people from glastonbury that reached out but at the time, it didn't make much environmental sense for us to fly over and do anything because the carbon emissions just wouldn't have been valid. But we are we are consulting overseas. We've got some some groups in Europe that have, have asked for some support, um, and all of our IP is free. Like it's there. Mm-hmm. Take it. You know, look at our website, look at our results, and and how we've done things. The reports are there. They can download them from all over the world and see what we've done. And they want to give me a call or give any of our team a call we'll definitely give them some advice as to you know our mistakes our failings and our and our wins so that they can avoid those those failings and yeah the world is is you know shouldn't be limited to just australia you know, and if we can learn from other groups overseas hey this is a collaborative effort shared planet so yeah definitely not restricted to australia Mm. Well, that's it. It's making, um, you know, this knowledge and information as accessible as possible and sharing learnings. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know, very commendable. You know, some people would, you know, maybe try and keep that closed. But I think that's amazing that being so open and sharing, because that is how messages spread further when it's just very easily accessible for individuals. So um, kudos to you for that. Um, is there anything that you would like to see more of at festivals, given your kind of experience now, um, obviously predominantly working there, but you do get to enjoy yourself when you're at festivals? Yeah, um, I would like to see more um, transparency and respect. I mean, don't get me wrong, as you said before, our respect to our custodians is, is second to a lot of countries, uh, first, you know, better than a lot of countries, lack of a better term. Um, but... I would like to see a little bit more genuine respect for that. Like, I think it's becoming a little bit more sermon. It's becoming a sermon. You know, it's all paid respect to the custodians. Here's our script. And then we do it. And then we go off and we just act like we always have. I feel like there could definitely be more of an evolution in understanding and and collaborating with our our custodians. Um, And, you know, and that goes as far as like what we call them, you know, Aborigine, it's a white man's term, you know, originals and, and just really delving into the fundamentals of that because I think that's where we can actually get some really good deep roots into how to make a a more sustainable change apart from that um yeah I think we'd love to see for the camping events which a lot of people are working on at the moment it's just understanding that tents are not single use um and we want want to see more reusable behavior which you know strawberry rainbow queenscliff um celtic festival you know riverboat festival a lot of events are are sort of adopting now as a reusable um structures and I just think that that's 
really creating that real platform for change. Um, but apart from mm. that, I feel like most festivals are sort of nailing it. You know, just keep evolving that self-love and I think most of it's just going to keep organically trending from there. What do you, what do you feel could be different at festivals or? Um, I mean, look, I think festivals, it depends. It's, there's certain events that probably need to go a lot further. I think um, there's probably some festivals who are very, very driven by that commercial element. Mm. Um, maybe those festivals where you see the big brand partnerships a lot more and things like that. Whereas for me personally, I really enjoy a festival where I'm not necessarily going and, you know, having to consume like big brand messages. It's more about the individuals that are there. You know, I love seeing the independent food stalls and, and things like that. And yeah, independent traders yeah. and hopefully more conversations, you know, of the great stuff that's happening at festivals outside of festival season it's really important for those conversations to be happening with individuals who've maybe never been to a festival or someone who has a preconceived idea of a festival like i've worked in the corporate world all of my life since i finished university and no matter where i have worked i've always been very upfront and honest with my um colleagues my bosses like teammates they'll be like oh where are you going i'll be like going to a festival yeah. And you, you'll see some looks. Some people will be like, what? And I'll be like, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't need to be ashamed of going to a festival. It doesn't mean, you know, that I can't do my job properly. And if you want to put a label on me for that, I'm going to probably try and change your mind about that label. One thing I always try to do is encourage people to see things from a different perspective. And that's what Definitely. I've learned about me and my journey and what I want to kind of do. And podcast plays into that. But mm. I think... Um, yeah, we can all have an impact on helping people to see things in a different way. Definitely, those um those that is that that fundamental element of the festivals and what's enjoyable. Like I remember Rainbow, for example. I spent ninety percent of my time in the village. I didn't actually go out to the the big stages that often, and I just loved the village and what to learn from that. Um, and then to be honest, mm. one of my favourite events that I've ever been to is a New Kind Festival, um, which is was held in Tasmania. I think it's still going to be held there, um, and that's. The only music's acoustic and there's not very, there's not much, um, like it's quite uh, an intimate music environment and yep. the whole, like you pay in your ticket, you get your food, you get everything. Um, and the whole thing is just, there's talk after talk and education and you can go to multiple talks and you can, you know, the whole thing is just networking and collaboration. It's a very free vibing a festival, drug and alcohol free. Um, so, and that's, you know, people go, oh, that's not a festival. Festivals have got to have drugs, they've got to have alcohol, they've got to have electric music. And it's like, it's not, it's a bit of a stereotype about what we understand a festival to be. Whereas, um, you know, mm. New Kind, New Kind is raising humanity. Like, it's just such an amazing event. So, um, I think we, as you said, get rid of those, those expectations and meet people where they're at. Um, so they can understand that festivals are very open to a lot of different, you know, views and perspectives. Um, yeah, anyone can go to it. The biggest conservative in the world can go to a festival and still feel comfortable. Mm, exactly, yeah. There's no no judgment. Mm. And it's funny because there's so much judgment played, placed on festivals and, and like, stigma attached to it. And, um, yeah, I think it's just something that would be really great to see a bit of a change um, mm. in the way people perceive it. And, you know, there's all different types of festivals um out there to your point you know there's those that are alcohol free so i think it's just really 
there's a reason why people enjoy coming together in those sorts of environments. So how can we foster more of that and, um, yeah, shine a light on it a bit more? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Amazing. I think so, we've covered everything, really, unless there's anything else oh, that you I'm would sure. like to share. I feel I'm like sure. me and you could just talk for, like, yeah. hours on it. <laughs> talk for hours. <laughs> but you definitely want to make sure people get some of those fundamental conversations we've had. So <laughs> I hope that everyone gets some value out of um, what we shared. I think it's um, yeah, yeah, well, exciting. I mean, yeah, I think it's amazing um, what you and the team are doing. And thank you so much for coming on and having a chat, I think that um yeah it's been a great conversation and i hope that more people will tune into what be alternative are up to um volunteer and support you guys at festivals um and yeah just help help you in your um i guess goal and mm. what should be the goal for everybody really is helping to make a better planet and a yeah. kinder world really yeah that'd be nice yeah. isn't it going to be fun yeah we can do it we can do <laughs> yeah, it yeah that's it awesome all right vicky well thank you so much and thank you for your podcast it's great that you're you're doing this it's going to um, it's definitely going to put some some thoughts out there for people and I'm, I'm excited to hear a few more of them as they come through amazing thank you well yeah cool. that's all i can do is help people share their messages and hopefully that might inspire some change thoughts you know whatever it might be um every action has a reaction right so i hope that there's maybe some positive reactions off the back of this i trust there will be very much amazing thank you so much cool bud no stress thanks for tuning into creative connectors hopefully you enjoyed the chat if so please subscribe share with friends support the community and tune into the next one